You're listening to You're United listening. Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. ProQ Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades, and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commandojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. I'm Dan and I'm here with my co-host Ben. Hello. And on today's show we have John Finch. Hey John, how are you doing? Hello Ben, I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Um, Dan may join us at some point, but we, we're thinking he might be asleep, but hopefully he'll wake up. <laughs> I thought he was a committed professional. Yeah, he usually is so professional, you know that. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him at work. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks for coming back on the show again. It's been it's a quite a while since we had you on the first time now. Yeah, a, a year maybe, maybe yeah. uh, more than a year. Yeah, yeah, be just yeah, it was before a previous grill stop, but not the last one. So Blimey. yeah, it's been uh, been a some time. Yeah. Flown. Yeah. So. Growth stock this year was absolutely awesome. I think I texted you after it saying this was the best ever. Like for me <laughs> and Dan, we came back to work the next day and we were just like, "What that weekend was epic." <laughs> uh, it was a um, well, it, we it was the biggest one we've ever done, kind of in terms of production wise. We've you know we've had more visitors in the past at our London one, but in terms of kind of the amount of effort we've gone to to make it really great um it's the biggest one we've done certainly the biggest in bristol as well um but it's fantastic i mean we made the site bigger as you know and um had a bit of a uh well we started with a blank piece of paper and laid the site out 20 different ways and then came back to kind of similar than we'd done in previous years but um but with, with that whole extra area where the competition was so uh, it worked well i think busy yeah. weekend Good yeah problem. It definitely worked well. Every everyone who I spoke to was just like, "Yeah, this this works," and we because we were a bit nervous at first. It was a bit like, "Oh, they've put all of us separate with the barbecue yeah. condition. Is it going to work?" But I, I think everyone would agree that it definitely worked. It's good to define the areas, I think, um, because what happened last time, we, there wasn't enough space in the competition area in previous years, and when everyone starts getting drunk and a bit leery. And you're right next to the main bar. Um, and, you know, the competition guys take it seriously. They want a bit of space. And, yes, they want to have fun as well. But just by keeping them separate, it kind of keeps, you know, you've got the main music stage down right at one end and then the competition right at the other. So if you're there for grill stock to talk barbecue, eat barbecue, do all that good stuff, great. That's where you're going to hang out for most of the weekend and the space there. And if you're there for the booze and the and the music, you're right down at the other end. And, uh, yeah, it just balanced it out. And it, it also gave a good flow because people moved between the different areas um quite a lot more than we expected them to actually so uh and th the third reason to be honest was a bit of a security reason because in previous years um it's been quite hard to manage that competition area 
um, later in the evening. Um, so having it completely separate and being able to lock it off in the evenings when people go home and stuff like that was, was really useful too. So yeah, worked, worked very well. Yeah, definitely. So do you think that's the, the kind of setup that they'll carry on with for the future? I think so. I mean, it worked. I think, uh, you know, that's the 12th festival we've done. And after three or four, you kind of get a feel on what the flow is going to be like of the visitors and what works and what doesn't work. So I think um, we fine-tuned it over previous years. Uh, it felt like we got it bang on last year. So to change it again next year, I think, would be uh, probably not the sensible move. Um, I, th- I would keep it as it is, personally. Yeah. But, but you guys are not going to be involved with it for next year we're not no we we um we started grill stock in 2009 um and have really just thrown ourselves and our lives into it 24 hours a day seven days a week ever since um and it got to the point kind of a year or so ago where we thought actually this is feeling more and more like work and less and less like our kind of calling in life i guess um and we thought, let's do one last big festival. Uh, let's make it a great one. Let's go out on a high. Um, so we kind of kept it quiet, but we we planned to kind of move on to other things. And, you know, we've both got other interests, things that we want to do. Um, so after kind of eight eight or nine years full time, um, we thought now's, now's the right time to step back and kind of get on to other things, really. Um, and it's impossible to do other things, particularly when you've got grill stock because it's quite a beast and it takes a lot of wrangling into shape every year uh you know yourself you put a festival on it's yeah. not weekend it's you know 10 11 months a year full time full-on planning and prepping for it so um you go you come off the back of one festival have a couple of weeks off and you're straight back into planning for the next year and we got the restaurants as well um so we just thought yes you know it's, it's kind of run its life cycle for us really um Time to do something, something else. Yeah, we definitely agree with you on the amount of time it takes up. Like our yeah. fe- our festival was a drop in the ocean compared to the size of Grillstock, but it's just knowing like that size festival, what that took to produce is thinking about the scale of what Grillstock was is quite yeah. a, quite a beast. <laughs> it's a beast. It's a real beast, um, and it's 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 long hours not that we're afraid of hard work but it's long hours and um when you get to the point i think where the you kind of you're already thinking well maybe it's time to do something else it probably is time to do something else yeah so yeah we we, we've parted company um as of the start of the summer really pretty much after that festival we stepped back and have had really nothing to do with grill stock since yeah and is that the the restaurants and the festival? Yeah, complete yeah. theme break. Yeah, cool. And you've started straight away with something fresh and new, which I knew you had in the making because I talked to you about my barbecue forte smoked beer that I'd made yeah. for our Q Fest. So I I said to you at the time, you were like, oh, did you know I'm making a brew book? So I was like, wow, ah, no, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is something, I mean, I've been into brewing beer as long as I've been into barbecue. Um and it's always sat side by side. I think the two go really, really well. You know, you can, it's another hobby where you can spend all day if you want tinkering, fettling and tweaking and, you know, playing with your recipes and cooking and, and you end up with something great. Admittedly, making beer, once you've finished brewing for the day, you've got to wait a few weeks before you can drink it. 
but it you know the process really is quite quite similar you kind of start playing around with ingredients and recipes and styles that you want to kind of copy in your head then you're working out what equipment and how how your equipment works so with a barbecue you, you kind of figure out the ins and outs of your smoker and what wood you're going to use and what rubs and what sauces and how what your cook time and your temperatures and brewing beer is very similar you're working out what grains you're going to use what hops you're going to use you, you you're kind of learning how your equipment works you're learning kind of what yeasts you like and which you don't and and, and how to clean it best and all that sort of stuff so um I think the key, the key similarity for me is kind of I love the recipe development side. I really enjoy with barbecue. And, you know, you've read the barbecue book that we wrote mm-hmm. is all about the rubs and the flavors. And all, you get all these different elements combining to make something beautiful. And beers, beers just like that. There's a, a vast palette of flavors out there. And you can really kind of pick and choose and tweak and a bit of this and a bit of that and you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You probably drink it anyway, and then you know, tweak it for next time. So, um, so yeah, I've been making beer on and off for probably ten or twelve years now, um, to the point where I've got my own little kind of microbrewery set up in my shed. It's only a small shed; it's like four feet by four feet, probably five feet. Um, but I've got a couple of beer kegs in there, uh, and a gas line, and a couple of taps. So you know, I've always got a couple of different brews on the go. Um, it's funny, I walk around Grillstock even the last few years, and it's funny how many of the teams are dragging homebrew kegs and homebrew on draft there as well. Um, so I'm clearly not alone in no. one. <laughs> I think there's something inside us all that, you know, beer and barbecue go together really, really well. Yeah, definitely, definitely does. Ah, and Dan's actually here now. He's on the call. Are you right, Dan? Hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, You're right. Good cool. morning, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, all the way from the other side of the world, and I'm painted head to toe green. It was a, a last-minute Halloween uh, decision, and uh, I decided I'd go as uh, the Incredible Hulk. Of course. But, yeah, but unfortunately the kids decided I looked more like Shrek, so uh, <laughs> I was a little, to be honest, a bit deflating, and uh, I thought here I was this really muscly guy, you know, macho man, command says the Hulk, oh, and then... Uh... <laughs> Everyone pointed at me and went Shrek, so it was yeah. uh, slightly. I can see that. Really, <laughs> too much barbecue and beer. Right, well, you, you're going to have to catch up with us now. So, John, can you start off by just telling us like what actually is in the book? By a guy in Arkansas called James Spencer, and he does a weekly podcast. And uh, I started listening to. It. I'd made a few batches of beer and weren't very good. Um, but I kind of got hooked on it and I was playing, trying to figure out why my beer wasn't very good. And he did an episode on this new style of homebrew, um, that some guys in Australia had invented. And so previously, if you wanted to make beer, you had to go and buy big kit. You needed a big boiler. You needed tanks full of water. You needed pumps to move it all around. You needed kind of three or four big expensive vessels. Um, it took up loads of space. Um, you had to bottle it all after it. I mean, palaver. Um, and really, you didn't end up with particularly great beer back then anyway because the ingredients all sucked. Um, so anyway, there's this uh, method in Australia called Brew in a Bag, it's called. Um, and these guys had just invented James. The, ho- the host was interviewing them and saying, you know, well, go on, what's this Brew in a Bag all about? We all home brew, but what's this? Uh, and the, the gist of it is um, they simplified making beer They'd taken all the kind of complexity out of it, all the 
that you need out of it. And they've said, well, look, in essence, the way you make beer is you get malted grains that are dried, you soak them in hot water, and they release kind of their flavor and their sugar into the hot water. And then you boil that hot water and you add your hops. That's where your hop flavors come from. And then you ferment it. And it's that simple. So anybody that says brewing beer is harder than that, they're overcomplicating it in some way or other. So the Aussies in their typical kind of, you know, spades of spade sort of way said, so we've gone about it a different way. To, to make this beer, all we need is a big pan and a mesh bag. And we're just going to make as good beer as somebody that spent $5,000 on a homebrew setup. So all you do, you get a big stock pot, you know, some of you cook pasta in at home. Um, you get a mesh bag like you would, same sort of material as mesh curtains would be made out of. Um, you heat the water in your pan. Um, you put this mesh bag and you pour your grains in and you steep them for about an hour. And so you imagine the mesh bags like a big, big tea bag, basically full of the grains. Mm -hmm. So you dunk it around, stir it around, leave it to sit for an hour. Then you pull this big kind of any tea bag back out again and you boil in the same the same pot in your same same stock pot you boil what's left throw your hops in and then you pour it into a fermenting bucket and uh, there's your beer you're done and um, so i thought um, and i've been using these kind of malt extracts these gloopy liquids and, uh, and it never worked so i bought a mesh bag i bought some malted grains and uh, some fresh hops and i made beer and it worked and first batch of beer that I made actually tasted like proper bottled beer or proper beer that you drink in the pub. And I thought, well, blimey, this is so easy. This is genuinely like making a soup. You, your ingredients are slightly different, but you start pan, you're throwing in some different ingredients at different times. And an hour or two later, you've got the finished product. Um, so I started making beer like that 10 years ago. And that's how I've made it ever since. Um, the size of my pot has grown a bit and my mesh bag I've had to replace a few times but essentially my brewery is just a big stock pot and this mesh bag so um so I came up with the idea of writing a book really that said um ignore all these complicated homebrew books that are out there really all you need to do is get this big pan and a bag be a bit careful on the cleanliness side and you could be making your own beer in your kitchen just with stuff you've got around really um so that's kind of the first the third of the book is about how you make sure everything's clean, how, you know, the steps to brewing beer step by step and explaining what each bit is in layman terms. You know, there's no there's no jargon in there. It's just mm -hmm. written kind of as though you'd never made beer. Um, so you know, like the books like how to how to how to I don't know how to barbecue for dummies sort of thing. If I was to buy this book, I've never brewed before. It, it would give me sort of a, a step by step sort of how hold my hand and walk me through sort of basics to all i need to do to get brewing with exactly. in, the, in a simplified way exactly that and actually if you go back and look at our grill stock book that's kind of what we did with that we started off yeah you've never smoked meat before you think i've done the same thing with the beer book is stripped all the all the unnecessary uh stuff out of there and you can there are 200 other homebrew books that go into all the details if you get into it the information's out there to go and read yeah. up more and more. But the idea of this is for somebody that's never made a beer before, can have a bit of fun, they can get together with the mate, spend a couple of hours in the kitchen, drinking beer while they do it, and easy peasy, there's your first batch of beer in a few weeks' time. Oh, amazing. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Um, so that's kind of the first third. Um, 
I then wrote to about 10 of my favourite breweries, um, some in the UK, well, most in the UK, abroad, and said to them, um, said to either the founder or the head brewer there, I said, I'm writing this real basic book on beer. Um, as a professional brewer, what advice, you know, how did you get started? What got you into brewing? What advice would you give to home brewers? And can I have a recipe for somebody to copy one of your kind of popular beers, but at home, like a small scaled down version to make one of your beers at home in the kitchen. So I got all these breweries like Brooklyn Brewery. I had Garrett Oliver, who's a real celebrity brewer um, from uh, Brooklyn Brewery. We had the guys from Tiny Rebel over in Wales. We had Camden Town. We had the Wild Beer Guys, um, Stroud Brewery, uh, Brick Brewery over in Peckham. Um, about a dozen or so, 10 or 12 breweries all came back with all these lovely photos of the breweries and some tips and tricks and then their recipes. Um, then there's a bunch of recipes I wrote on different styles of beer that to drink and make. Uh, and then it gets kind of a bit foodie. Um, we go into a load of beer cocktails. Um, and then the back, probably, I'm just flipping through now, I'd say the back third of the book are a load of food recipes um, that contain beer as one of the ingredients. So, oh, nice. you know, beery nachos, linguine, crab, uh, chili, and IPA, um, you know, beer. Giving your father a day of beer. Yeah, things where, Eat it you know, and drink it. <laughs> exactly. You can make beer, drink beer, and cook with beer, and shoehorn beer into kind of whatever you're making, really. Bathe in it as well, wherever Bathe you want. Beer. It's supposed to be good for washing your hair in, so I've been told. But um, I'll try it. Don't I waste it? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll do it with a bucket and then drink it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's it, really. Um, it's smaller than the Grill Stop book. It's kind of A5 sort of size. Um, nice and bright, full, easy. Um, yeah, really pleased with it, actually. Mm. It's going very well. And it only came out a week or so ago, so it's um, hot off the press, as they say. Yeah. So what? what's a beer cocktail, then? Oh, it can be anything from, I mean basic uh like a boiler maker where you drop a shot of uh whiskey into a pint but things like a beer eater where you're making a margarita but it's got beer in it instead um things like or oh, some campari ipa where you're mixing campari and beer to kind of top the cocktail up with um raspberry beer punch is another one a, a mojito made with beer there's rum cocktails where you can put beer in instead Stout float is another one that's in there. Um, so it's basically, again, looking at what cocktails are out there, which can I yeah. swap ingredients for uh, a good old beer? Sounds good. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, beer, beer like, man, interests me. I, I just love how, like, it's been around for, I'm going to put it out there, a few hundred years. Thousands. And, okay, thousands of years. And, yeah. like, not that it was going out of fashion, but it just sort of wasn't thing to drink people didn't drink yeah i don't know it just was was i don't know on, on the sort of back burners and then and in pubs and stuff you'd see like the, the taps were diminishing they'd be going down from you used to have 10 taps down to five yeah. taps down to and like the beer was disappearing off off the menus all over the country in my opinion, sort of uh i don't know it's a real interest in beer again when you go out on a night out it's everyone's drinking beers and interesting beers different beers you go out for dinner and people were drinking lots of different beers and, and it's, yeah. it's it's awesome to see out, out of different glasses and and it's it's just interesting to see that, that how it's gone on this complete uh over overturn and how now i mean we've got so many microbreweries 
making so many amazing beers. Absolutely. And and just how beer can be. A, a friend of mine who uh, was, I mean, my mum met his mum in hospital because we were born very similar time, and I've known him all my life. But he's now uh, a brewer, and how he drinks beer and how complex it's, it's like wine or I mean I think yeah. my palate is quite good with food but he takes a sip of beer and he's like oh I can taste this 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 and this and I just find it really interesting I can maybe get like one or two of those flavors but he gets all these different things <laughs> and just the complexity of it of, of how much goes into it and all but how simple it can be and how actually uh, these simple ingredients at different times and different temperatures Absolutely. and different this and different that can cause so many all different, different flavors, flavors. And it's it's just an, it's it's an incredible incredible thing. Really, really interests me. And just like I said, the whole the whole boom that's happened, and it's just yeah, it's just super interesting. So it's it's a it's a cool. I'm definitely going to get with the book, and uh, it's a cool insight into yeah. how I might even go. Well, what's happened? If you rewound ten years, there were probably I don't know. I mean, I mean I'm plucking a number out of the air, but a, a very small number of big breweries making most of the beer in the country. Uh, a lot of those would be making very similar style beers. They'd all be using similar grains, similar hops. And I remember, you know, 20 years ago, back at my university days, um, most pubs were selling kind of warm, fairly flat, bitter. And that's yeah. kind of it. Or, or stout or a fairly generic cheap lager that was never very, you know, never more than fizzy water with a bit of something in it. So um, I'm completely with you on that. And, and what's happened is... Um, in the in the states, um, everyone points to a beer called Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Have you heard of that one? Uh, I actually can't. I don't think I have. No, the label looks a little bit dated on it now. But there's a beer called Sierra Nevada, and cool. uh, when they were starting up about however many years ago, they didn't have much money, um, and hops were very very expensive and still are. And somebody offered them a massive bale of a specific kind of hop called Cascade Hops. Um, so they started making their beer because they couldn't afford. Normally, when you make beer, you'll mix a few different kinds of hops up. Some are good for make, some are good for making it. Better. Some are good for giving aroma and flavour, that sort of thing. So these guys, all they had was this massive pile of Cascade Hops. So they just made their beer using Cascade Hops. And what they found is it gave this really crazy citrusy brine piney aromatic flavor that wasn't hadn't been kind of in beer before and you know people weren't used yeah. to it sort of this bright kind of pineapple aroma and flavor in beers um so they found out it was all down to this hop and people loved it so all the breweries started using this cascade hop in their beers um and then it spread and spread and the hop growers started to grow more and more varieties of this cascade hop and some had strong kind of grapefruity flavors some had this kind of bigger piney flavors and that's where if you go back to any beers now the, these big beers like these ipas like brew dog uh, most beers that these new breweries are doing they're all based kind of sierra nevada pale ale style beer um yeah. so everyone started making it this crazy america just went nuts probably 10 8 to 10 years ago of all these big ipas and they were making them stronger and growing all these crazy and they're throwing all kinds of weird fruit and different things into their beer. Of course, as we know, look at barbecue, for example, what happens in the States, you know, three or four years later, invariably <laughs> turns up on our doorstep. Yeah. Um, so now you've got all the UK brewers, uh, and instead of there being a small handful of massive brewers, 
Um, you're getting these guys that have started brewing beer in the garage. They've started taking a bit of empty warehouse space in town and making this small batch beer. And instead of it all being about margins and getting away with the lowest number of hops they can, they're importing these crazy big cascade hops from America and all the different varieties. And they're packing them into the beers and they're using the really freshest grain and, you know, the best possible kind of ingredients they can, the best yeasts. And making this real craft product, you know, really high quality, loads of ingredients, loads of crazy hops in there. Uh, and yes, you're going to pay more for it. But look, there's, you know, three times the amount in one of these beers as there might have been. Uh, and there's a lot more care. It's maturing and conditioning for a lot longer. Um, so it's kind of the American craze for these big hoppy beers came over here. Um, but at the same time, the availability of ingredients, whether that's grain or yeasts or hops, um, suddenly burst open. So anyone anywhere in the world now can order hops from New Zealand. They can order yeast from Belgium. They can order hops from, you know, America or whatever. So uh, so it's suddenly blown open the doors and anyone can now make world class beers Um and it's there and people are loving the variety and loving the tinkering. Um, I think also, you know, people are in general drinking less, but they're drinking more of the kind of the good stuff. So I know I would rather go out and have a couple of pints of really good beer than eight pints of crap beer. You know, those days of kind of the binge drinking on smelly flat beer, I think. Yeah. Do you, do you, with that, do you think, John, with that, is, is that something that... Is it because we're all getting a bit older that we're getting more sensible, or is it like you said? Like, are we? I know I'll go out now, and I've kind of almost developed a bit of a snobbery around beers. Like, oh no, no, I won't have that one. I, I'll, <laughs> I think I'll just I'll wait until I get home. Thanks. <laughs> really? Well, do you know you read in the papers, don't you, about the kind of younger generation now are not really drinking and. Um, they're saying it's going to have a massive impact on pubs in years to come because the habits are changing. People are a lot more health conscious, I think. They're eating a lot better. They're exercising a lot more, um, drinking a lot less. And when they are drinking, they're, they're, they're being very picky about what they're drinking. Uh, and, you know, as this generation kind of grow and grow, and there's less of us old kind of alcoholics out there, <laughs> uh, pubs are going to be in a difficult spot. Because, you know, what, what, And brewers are as well, these these mass brewers that need to sell millions and millions of pints of their beer a year just to break even, uh, people aren't buying it as much. So um, they're, they're in turn now picking up all these smaller craft breweries like, you know, Camden Town got bought a couple of years ago for... Yeah, I mean, even over here uh, in Southeast Asia, I mean, obviously you've got your giants like your Bintangs, your Tiger, your Changs, which I enjoy drinking as well. But also the South... I mean, the, the craft beer scene over here is, I mean... You can see it. You walk around. It's it's, it's growing massively. There's, there's lots it? of beers around. Yeah, yeah. There's loads of loads of places doing craft uh, craft beer nights and uh, beer tasting nights on mm. um, on the side. A lot of restaurants actually that are bringing sort of uh, a lot of restaurants over here. Actual, especially in Kuala Lumpur, uh, a sort of uh, restaurant bars and, uh, and the food scene over here is huge, 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 huge food yeah. scene. And and with that, I mean, wines not particularly popular and and cocktails a lot of good cocktails uh, you can get around the city and i just think i mean beers just hit massively so you're you're going to places yeah. now and there's there's some amazing craft beers available and some really really interesting and and yeah it seems to even be massively hitting it over here i saw the other day someone's even done a um 
a craft bit. I mean, beer beer pairing with foods a big thing now. You know, you go to restaurants, yeah. serve you a different beer with each course. Um, although you know every dish has got a a recommended beer to go with it. I saw a uh, someone's done a um, a food pairing for pizza. <laughs> so I didn't think that's you know that's when it's hit isn't it where you decide you're looking down your takeaway pizza list and wondering what beer is going to go best with your margarita or your you know <laughs> pepperoni pizza <laughs> but it's great i'll send it i'll send that thing on to you guys actually it's quite a funny funny link yeah it would work quite well with pizza to be honest because of the varieties of the toppings and stuff you do get very different <laughs> toppings <don't you? laughs> well exactly <laughs> so yeah so we're um so that beer craft book was out uh week or two ago and we've just started um writing our new book actually um so we've going to go with a um we've managed to get another book to write all about wood ovens um so that's our next project that we both ben and i are both working on together for uh, ah i saw you got a, a wood oven the other day so it's, it's, oh, it's arriving tomorrow it's not here yet. Oh, okay, okay. i saw someone got one and and I saw that you had commented saying yours is uh, on the way yeah. or something, and yeah. you know the small circles that we all live in, and exactly, <laughs> bit of Facebook yeah. stalking and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's you know I've been cooking on one for the last seven or eight years. Um, yeah, I go to Italy every summer, and there's a big pizza oven where we go, and I spend so much time cooking there. A lot of the, funnily enough, quite a lot of the grill stock book recipes were developed in. Uh, Italy on a pizza oven in a wood oven um, and they're so versatile so we've got this book that's kind of it's about wood ovens uh, and it's how you use them and light them and manage the fire um, but it's also really about look they're not just pizza ovens you as everybody knows that probably listens to this podcast but the wider world probably doesn't is you know if you've got a pizza oven yes they're great to cook pizzas but you can cook roasts you can cook you know tray baked breads you can cook desserts you can cook you know all all manner of different things that you might yeah. cook in a regular oven uh Dutch oven in there you can slow cook in there you can do whatever you want it's a, it's yeah a... exactly um and the fun of it really is with a wood oven you've got these different stages of kind of of the fire you've got it raging hot when you're doing pizzas but you leave it a couple of hours and it might be just the right time to do some roast fish in there or you know chicken that sort of thing leave it a little bit longer and it's going to be good for kind of slow cooking joints of meat or casseroles and stews and things like that or or you know um fire it back up a bit do some bread in there do some tacos in there um, they're great i can't wait to get my hands on one over here actually it's going to be um it's going to be every um amazing keeping busy then straight into another one straight into another one yeah it's always good to know it's always good to know that for to get another book deal they must like this one so uh, it's not even well, just just out and they're all another one so it's always a good place to be awesome. yeah it's yes. a uh, it's a nice process I, I find the process of writing them very enjoyable actually i um someone that hated english at school and never did very well with essays and never did my homework they really look forward to a day clear my desk and just you know when break. you're passionate about something though that's that's the beauty of it and, and that's yeah. what's good to hear is that you're passionate about something. You're not just writing books for the hell of it. You're not. Uh, I don't. Know, I'm going to pull a name out. Gordon Ramsay, just famous. <laughs> you're going to write a load. Of, you're going to write a load of books and, and just sell them. Just for fun of it. You're writing stuff you're you're passionate about, and and that's yeah. what makes it enjoyable. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd... people say if you enjoy enjoy what you do, and you'll never work a day in your life, which is which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, sadly, books unless you're Jamie Oliver or Gordon Ramsay or uh, J.K. Rowling, I don't think many people can pay the mortgage for long writing <laughs> these days. But it's a nice kind of it's a nice thing to kind of tide you over in between different projects, really. Definitely. So, where's the book available for people to order now, John? Um, so, Beercraft is on Amazon. So, if you Google Beercraft and my name, it'll come up on Amazon. Uh, it's also in Waterstones. Um, I actually popped into a Waterstones at the weekend, and they've not had their delivery yet, but they might do by now. Are uh, you going to say you're doing a book signing or something? Yeah. Uh, sadly, <laughs> they've not invited anyone. Oh. Uh, I'd invite you to, if I was still at home. I'd invite you somewhere to do a book signing. Definitely. Oh, thank you. Appreciate. <laughs> uh, and yeah, yeah, it should be in quite a few little independent bookstores and homebrew shops and nice little gift shops. Um, it's pretty pretty easy spot. It's bright orange cover with beer crafting massive letters all over the front. Um, yeah, it's great. It's it's a if you if you've always fancied having a play, if you like beer, you've fancied having a go. Then, and I'm not saying this as a sales. I'm saying it because I'm kind of passing on what I've learned over the years on and a really genuinely really easy way to make beer. Um, you're not going to have to buy any kits. Uh, if it goes wrong, you're not flushing hundreds of pounds down the top. Uh, and, and to be honest, making book to beer, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, making beer is great fun. You know, it's, I was saying to um, Ben before you jumped on, Dan, it's, it's not dissimilar to time spent smoking meat, really. You know, you come up with your recipe and you plan your kind of your day. You, uh, you kind of, you know, it's two or three hours you commit to and then you're done. Then you've got 40 yeah. at the end of it. Well, it's genuinely something I've toyed with for, for years now and, and completely genuinely, I'm going to get the book and I'm going to give it a go. So Good you've man. inspired me. You've inspired me. I'm yeah. going to do it. Photos on Facebook didn't happen. I should, yeah, no worries. I should, no I should, worries. I should briefly tell you my disaster story of beer, I guess, before we go, just to, yeah, just to show you how... how, oh, we, no, how we, it's not, it's not <laughs> your podcast, man. This is John's podcast. We're not... <laughs> Like you. I shouldn't even be saying this really because it's, it. it's just giving Dan more fuel to say how oh, he's better than me. But there we go. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> well, my my disaster story of beer was I I used one of these kits and it all went really well I, I guess. And I got yeah. to the point where you could decide if you wanted to add sugar to it or not to make it fizzy or not. Yeah. Uh, my I was living at home at the time and my mum had decided that she'd have a tidy up in the cupboards and she changed our box which had uh sugar in it before to have salt in it oh and, no and i i didn't know so i added salt to my whole oh. brew waited another week and then tasted what i can only describe as seawater <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so that's what i thought when i tasted your barbecue sauce as well uh, yeah he's got those two mixed up again <laughs> got a really good palate <laughs> It's funny, this guy um, that I mentioned earlier that does the Homebrew podcast, He uh, every every Christmas they do a special episode called Homebrew Disasters. And it's him and his mates sit there and they read out letters from people that have done exactly things like that or had beers explode or, yeah. you know, they've been making beer and accidentally tipped 100 litres of 
scalding hot beer all over the floor and <laughs> it's a it's a good show to you should write into that one yeah mate. will do yeah cheers <laughs> <laughs> cool well fa- thanks for being on the show today john oh, thanks for um, having me guys and if, yeah, no, no, it's been if, a great chat to you can people find you on social media and stuff and yes i am instagram i am don finch 74 uh is probably the best place to find me that's age by the way yep Feels it someday. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for being on again, John. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers to do it, bro. Thanks. Nice Bye speaking there. to you. Bye. Bye, mate. Bye. You're listening to your United Q podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Barbecue Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades, and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out kamadojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. Whether it's smoking wood chunks, dust, chips, or planks, you can find them at smokewoodshack.com. And you can find them on Twitter at smokewoodshack.